Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. And we've been in a series over the past few weeks called Christmas Treasure. And uh, as, as I've been kind of thinking over this and as we've been doing the journey, I've just been reminded that we know it's Christmas. Anyone who's kind of, we all know it's Christmas. And if you are a person of faith, if you're a person of the Christian faith, you know that Christmas is about celebrating the birth of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And even if you're not a believer, if you're not someone of faith, you know that there is you know, it's a historical thing about you know, this person, Jesus, who was born in a manger, and, and that's how we got Christmas. And, and we can know that cognitively. We can mentally know that it's Christmas. But in the midst of everything that happens... With everything going on, uh, with the busyness of the end of the year, with all the distractions and the chaos, particularly of COVID, uh, and all the change, the running around and getting Christmas presents last minute, Jono, uh, or whatever's going on in your world and your life, we can mentally know it's Christmas, but sometimes it misses our heart. And, uh, and my, my prayer is that tonight, just for a few short moments as we just unpack a, a, a piece of scripture, that God would remind you afresh of the profound, like using that word profound, profound invitation of Christmas and actually what it means for us, that it's not just a cognitive head knowledge thing, but God reminds us each year of what he's done for us and what he invites us into. And are we going to look at perhaps the most central theme of Christmas other than Jesus, and that is Mary uh, tonight. So if you uh, have your Bibles with you, uh, open up to Luke chapter 2. If you don't, uh, or have your digital device, the words will be on the screen behind me. And it's a fair chunk of, uh, of Scripture tonight I'm going to read. So from Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 28. And uh, yeah, this is where we, I'm going to pick it up where um, Mary and Joseph have taken Jesus to the temple to be blessed um, at which was the custom, as you'll find out. And there's an old man there who has been praying and waiting for this moment. And uh, he, uh, his name is Simeon. And this is where we pick up the story. Simeon took him, that is Jesus, in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and grace, and the grace of God was on him. 
Every year, Jesus' parents went to the Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days... They found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, you naughty boy. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Don't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I want to pick up the second last sentence that I read in that parcel of scripture. But his mother, but Mary, treasured all these things in her heart. And when, it, when, when, the, when the writer says all these things, it's all of what I've just read. There's, there, there is something about the story of Jesus that Mary is walking alongside and she's treasuring all these things in her heart. And she's doing it in the midst of chaos and anxiety. I mean, can you just imagine for a moment just what Mary's going through? I mean, she has had a, a boy, uh, at, the Holy Spirit has come and said, you are going to have the Son of God. You are going to have a baby. I mean, the mere fact, the reality of having a baby is in itself both very exciting and very stressful. I mean, it is exciting when you find out that you're having a baby. I know for John and Liz, it's hugely exciting. And we celebrate uh, for the, you know, with the long-awaited arrival of this uh, little white and I love the fact that we've had a whole bunch of people over the last few months come to Megan and I and say, guess what? We're expecting. And we cheer and we celebrate. There is something wonderful uh, about celebrating uh, the impending birth, expecting a child. And particularly for us uh, at Gateway City, we've got a whole bunch of firstborns that are coming. It's hugely exciting. And, uh, and I remember when Olivia uh, was first born. In the first few days leading up, it was hugely exciting. And, and then the birth and just being there, it was, it was amazing. It was incredible. Uh, I, I think Megan knew what it was like to be Mary because the day that we brought Olivia home, uh, uh, I decided just to invite half the church over. I was so excited the day. And so we just had people come through the day that Megan got home from the hospital. And I think Megan knew what it felt, or what Mary felt like. Because, you know, when Mary had a baby, all of a sudden shepherds were knocking up the door, going, knocking on the door, going, hey, listen, some angels told us that there's a party going on here. And then these wise dudes from across the east, they knocked on the door and said, hey, we're here to see this baby. It's hugely exciting, but it's also hugely scary. Can you imagine for, for, for Mary, just all of a sudden she has this newborn baby. Having a newborn baby is hugely exciting. It's, it's, it's also scary because it's new and it's change. And 
you know, she'd never done it before. I remember when we came home from the hospital, it was hugely exciting, but that moment when the nurse says, this baby's yours now, you can go home, it's kind of like, are you coming with us? <laughs> we got no idea. And, 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 you know, you kind of like, you've got this baby and you're just not quite sure, you know, when it cries or when it gets sick or whatever. You, you know, you just panic. You're worried about everything. I'm just kind of giving you a bit of a heads up, John and Liz. Because with the first one, you don't know how robust babies are. And, and, so, and they are pretty robust. They're amazing. Uh, but but, but when, when you're first starting out, you just think you've got no idea. And so you are worried. Can you imagine for Mary? It was, it was an anxious time having, having a baby. And then if you track through, her, through with it and you, you understand a story, not only has she got the baby, but she's got the Son of God. I mean, can you imagine the pressure? You know, the pressure of uh, you, you've been given the Son of God to raise. Imagine when Jesus got a temperature or when it began to cry, wouldn't sleep at 2 a.m. in the morning. It's like, am I ruining the Son of God? I mean, the pressure is just crazy. It would have been huge for, for Mary. And then as we continue to track the story, Jesus gets to two years old and Herod, the psycho king, decides that he's heard that there's this, this baby that's the Messiah and wants to lop its head off. Joseph has a dream and preempts it and so they escape before Jesus is murdered. Jesus has got a price on his head at two years old. Can you imagine how psychologically painful it would have been to pick up your whole life and to move to Egypt to a completely foreign country. We've done that. I've done that with Megan. It's, it's, mass, it's huge, but imagine in their, their context with their culture and their family to go to Egypt. And then we read this story here at the age of 12. They go to Jerusalem with their family and their friends as they do every year. And, uh, and then they leave Jerusalem and a day into their journey, a kind of Helps me, helps me read this because it feels like well, maybe I'm not that bad a parent. I'm, I'm just joking, Mary. Uh, you know, kind of like one whole day into the journey and then going back and they can't find Jesus, the Son of God, their 12-year-old, for three whole days. I mean, that's traumatic. I remember last, last year we were on holidays and we lost Jacob at the beach. We could not find him anywhere. And you know when you can't, well, you may not have experienced this, but you lose a child and, and you know, in that setting, in that context, and, and the, the panic begins to rise as you begin just to talk to strangers. Have you seen this show? You, we couldn't find him, couldn't find him. We're running around everywhere. Awful feeling. And we eventually found him. He'd gone off and walked with one of his cousins. We were with family and he was about, I don't know, 800 metres away. And we were relieved, my goodness. You know, Mary is experiencing a whole bunch of anxiety. And, and we read here a couple of things. Firstly, in the story, she says to Jesus when, she, when Joseph and she find him, she says, um, what did she say? Um, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I, I love that, your father and I. I love how, you know, Scripture puts in something that happens just in real life. Son, your father and I are not happy. That certainly happens in the circum household with our kids. Your father and I have been what? We have been anxiously looking for you, anxiously searching for you. There's something else, I think, in the narrative Mary, uh, here and the story of Mary that we need to pick up on, and it's in the prophecy of Simeon. 
Simeon says something to Mary, which is, is something that, that will sit in her heart and something that I think that she treasures in her heart, even though it is difficult. Simeon says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And that's hard words. Say that your son is going to pierce, you know, the journey that you do with your son is going to pierce your heart. I think it's a prophetic image of 33 years later when Mary stands at the cross and she watches her son die. Mary endures pain, anxiety, frustration, fear. She walks through turbulence and trouble. But in the midst of all of that, she chooses to treasure the whole thing in her heart. She treasures truth. She takes hold of what she knows and she draws it into her heart. You know, we live in uncertain times as well. Now, we're walking in a season of time where things can change like that. We are living in COVID times and I know as I look out into the eyes and faces of people that I care for, the people that I pass as I walk the streets, I know that there is a weariness. Can you feel it? Feel it? Do you feel it? There's just a, a weariness and uh, an uncertainty that is part of our age and our time. And the thing is, is that uncertainty leads to anxiety. See, when we're uncertain about what's ahead, we become anxious. It's this loss of agency. We can't plan. We don't feel like we've got control. So what happens is when we feel anxiety, we try and create control. As I've watched, and I've watched uh, the last few years in our society, I've seen that in this place of anxiety, uncertainty, anxiety, we have sought to grab hold of control. And we do that by trying to manufacture and try and finding, tr by finding truth. See, we find comfort. And I watch this both inside and outside the church. People find comfort in knowledge, in holding on to a theory or a truth. They find comfort in being right. They love to know what's going on, or at least we like to think we know what's going on. And so we find ourselves in echo chambers. We find ourselves going down rabbit holes because we are wanting to feel a sense of control. It's, hap it's happening both outside the church and sadly, it's also happening inside the church. In our desire for control, in the midst of anxiety and uncertainty, we long to create our own truth. And the reality is that that is something that sits very nicely within our secular culture. In the culture that we're in, it's no surprise that it's very hard to pin down uh, what truth is. Because at the end of the day, everybody is seen as their own authority. Secularism today, as Charles Taylor says, it's not that, that we reject a, an overarching authority. Charles, Charles Taylor would say that secularism now today is not a rejection of an ultimate authority. What it embraces today is that everybody has their own authority. And when that happens, there is no authority there is no truth. 
And so we all are concocting our own truth and we all find ourselves going down rabbit holes. We all find ourselves in echo chambers. I think that there's something in the life of Mary that we can learn from in this season and in this time. See, Mary, in the midst of her uncertainty, locked in and treasured truth. And truth for Mary was something different from what many people say today, see today. Before I wanna look at what that truth is, I think that there's a posture that we need if we're going to receive and treasure the truth. There's three things that I think we see in the life of Mary that I wanna invite every one of us here to step into. Firstly, Mary exhibited a humble heart. You see her time and time again submitting, surrendering. Firstly, we see that she submits and surrenders to God. When the, when the angel comes and says, you have been chosen, Mary essentially says, God, you can work your purposes out in my life. God, your will be done in my life. And then we see, as we've read through this story tonight, she continues to be faithful to the law of God. She continues to serve and sit within the economy and the plans of God. And thirdly, we see, and I think that this is profound, is that she actually submits and surrenders to her 12-year-old son. We see this dialogue at the end and she's, she, you can tell that she's annoyed. You can, you can read it in the Scripture. You can see that, that Jesus... What have you done? Why, what are you doing? We've been looking for you for four days. And Jesus says, Mary. He says, Mom. He doesn't say Mary. Mom. <laughs> Dad. Don't, didn't you know I, I, I'm here because I'm doing my father's business? Mary doesn't push back. She treasures those words, that posture in her heart. That's a humble heart. Your 12-year-old son, that's a humble heart. Firstly, Mary had a humble heart in order to receive the truth. Secondly, she had a listening ear. We see that in, in every space, in every moment, she is absorbing words from others. We see that with Simeon's words and with Anna's words, she receives those words. She takes them on. She is looking to hear from God. And Simeon has hard words for her. I mean, we read it, you know, Mary, this, this, boy, this boy saviour is going to pierce your heart. They are hard words. In our culture, in our time, I reject that truth. That's not my truth. I'm going to live out my truth. I'm going to speak out my truth. I'm going to reject that truth. In our culture, anything that causes unhappiness, discomfort or pain should be rejected. Mary receives it because she has a listening ear that comes through a humble heart. And thirdly, she had a willing spirit. We see at every moment and every point she remains faithful to her call. And even in the midst of suffering and pain, she remains faithful to Jesus she joins Jesus in the ministry. She walks with Jesus in the ministry. And ultimately, she stands at the foot of the cross and watches her son bleed, beaten, and ultimately suffocated. He breathes his last. 
Jesus is faithful. She has a willing spirit to the call that God has on her to the very end. See, Mary has a humble heart. She has a listening ear. She has a willing spirit. And with all of that in place, she has the capacity, the capacity to treasure truth in her heart. This is an invitation for all of us tonight. At this Christmas time, we need to remind ourselves, do we have the posture to treasure the truth in our heart? And what is that truth? Well, the amazing thing about Christmas is it tells us that the truth is a person. The truth is Jesus. Mary treasures the events, the words, the prophecies, the promises, and the person of Jesus in her heart. And this is a wonderful thing that we, need to inv- that we know, but we need to be reminded. And Christmas is a reminder for us that truth is personal. Truth is personal. Truth is not abstract. It's not a theory. It's not a political leaning to the left or to the right. It's not a power structure. It's not a religion. It's not rules. Truth is not an ideology. Truth is a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And that has far more weight and far more power. You can read an ideology, you can read religion, you can read rules and you can rebut it. But when you're face to face with another, when you're face to face face with the other, that comes with a great, greater power, a greater demand on your life. When we encounter Jesus, we encounter real truth, we encounter real power, we encounter real love. See, truth is a person and that person is Jesus and that person reveals and shows to us both power and love. And love is who Jesus is. The whole purpose of Jesus coming to earth, God stepping down from heaven to earth was to rescue us. And Simeon says this, he acknowledges this. Anna acknowledges this. Anna says, this is the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon says, my eyes have seen salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory and the glory of your people, Israel. See, See, truth is a person, it's Jesus, Jesus who, Jesus who has come down to redeem us from our sin. That is why love is powerful, because it redeems and it rescues us, and it is ultimately expressed at the cross. Jesus did not come just to live a good life. That would be nice and wonderful and comfortable, but Jesus did more than that. He died and he rose again. He is alive. He is truth incarnate. And that demands something of us. Jesus is not an ideology. Jesus is not a political persuasion. Jesus is not a set of rules. Jesus is a person, the risen king, who demands a response from us. Mary understood that. She saw it, and that is how she could treasure Jesus in her heart. And the wonderful news is, 
And we need to remind ourselves again this Christmas is that when we encounter the truth in a person in Jesus, it sets us free. We can get in a whole bunch of debates. We can approach again Christmas in an academic, mental kind of framework, and we do, don't we? Oh, yeah, it's Christmas. Yeah, I know the story. And we, we lose the treasure that Mary had, that treasuring in the heart. But when we do, it sets us free. There's this debate that goes on, and John records it, the Gospel of John, in John chapter 8. And there's all these religious leaders kind of debating who Jesus is. Is he the truth, right? Is, is Jesus the truth? And, and the Gospel of John focuses in on this whole idea of truth. In fact, we read in another part of John where, John, where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In John chapter 8, John records this, this conversation, this debate that the religious leaders are having. And we pick it up in verse 25. If I just go from there, Alyssa. They ask, who are you? Jesus responds, just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, what is he speaking of? He's speaking of his own death. Then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, Mary, uh, many believed in him. Mary would have believed in him too. <laughs> to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We are invited to know the truth. We are invited to step into a relationship with the truth. That changes everything. Firstly, it changes who we are. See, when we come into a relationship with the truth, it changes how we see the world. And, and Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8, one of the most wonderful chapters in all of the Bible, where, where Paul writes that, but, that through Christ, we can now come to the Father. We are now adopted. We are now sons and daughters of the King. We are changed. When we come to know the truth, we are set free because we are forgiven. We are invited into this radical new relationship with God where we are sons and daughters. We are, we're, in we're in a loving relationship with God who has come for us and made a way for us through Christ. We can come to Him and, and know that we are His children. We don't need to do anything. We don't need to tick any boxes. We don't need to serve in any way. We are loved because of what He has done and all we need to do is receive. I'm just preaching the good news here. I'm just preaching the gospel. This is what it means to be in relationship with Jesus, who is the truth. And if we know that truth, that dynamic of being in relationship with Jesus, who is continually at work in us and changing us, the truth 
at work in us, it enables us to live with a new kind of confidence. Because we can live with a confidence that says that I know the truth. The truth is at work in me. And I know how this story ends. You know, it's really saddened me as I watch and I see people, particularly within our Christian faith, who have been knocked sideways over, the, over this past season, who have somehow felt the need to grab hold of other truths and go down different places. And I'm, I'm making broad statements here. Who have been consumed with lesser things rather than living in freedom, living with no fear because they have and know the truth. See, when we know how this all ends, and we do, we know that Jesus is king, that he reigns and he rules, then we don't need to live in fear. In uncertain times where we feel anxiety, we don't need to grab hold of control because we know who is in control. It changes our posture and we can walk in this world as a non-anxious presence. That's what it means to be in relationship with the truth. And that is what God has called us to do. See, here's the thing. This is the gospel. Let me, let me just say that when we encounter the truth, when Jesus is living in us, when Jesus is our ultimate truth, firstly, we don't need to go searching for any more truths. The truth is already there. We've already found it. It's changing us. And Jesus reigns in our life and in our heart. We don't need to live then in fear. Why? Secondly, because we know we're loved. We're absolutely radically loved. That is what it means to live in the gospel. That's what it means to know the truth. And thirdly, it enables us to live in love. It enables us to live with love for others. We are free to love. The truth will set you free. Free from yourself, free from your baggage, free from your shame, free from the pain and the condemnation of sin, and therefore free to love others. And that is the gift in this season that we can have, that we can actually walk in this season and actually bring life, peace, and hope to those who are desperately needing it. The invitation, and as we look at Mary, the invitation for all of us in this Christmas season is to move from our head, move Jesus from our head and the cognitive knowledge and the theoretical and move it to our hearts, to the relational. Remind ourselves afresh that Jesus is the truth and knowing Jesus sets us free. Treasure the truth. Treasure Jesus. Treasure it in your heart. In the midst of the pressure, the panic, the distractions, everything that's going on in our world right now, keep your eyes on Jesus and treasure Him in your hearts. That is the invitation of Christmas. As I've been praying about today, I, uh, I just had a sense, I've had this word overwhelm. And uh, Tell you, there are, there are a bunch of people this morning. I actually think it's a word for many of us in the season. I'm going to get the band to come up. PJ, why don't you come? Um, 
And uh, I, I, reckon, I reckon there's a bunch of us and, and we've, we're feeling overwhelmed. You know, we live, in, we, live in a, we live in a world and a time right now where it's so easy to feel overwhelmed. There is so much going on let alone Christmas, let alone all the financial pressures that we're under, all the, all, you know, the tiredness of the year, let alone COVID rules and laws changing every second day. There is, there is just a sense of so much distraction. And, and I've, I've felt it for myself that in all of that, our focus has got off Jesus and we've been trying to look at other things to get our meaning, our purpose, and our hope. And uh, I reckon today is a reminder for us as the keys come on. Um, it's a reminder for us today or tonight that actually Jesus is truth, Jesus is King. And that we can find meaning, purpose, and hope in Him and Him alone. That's all we need. And uh, I reckon God just wants to do some ministry amongst us and in us. He, he was doing it this morning, and, and I reckon He wants to do it tonight. And so I know, you know, there's only there's not many of us, but if you are feeling, you're feeling that, you know, that that, that sense of overwhelm or that sense of frustration, and you know that in this season. Maybe that treasuring Jesus in your heart thing is, is maybe not there as it should. And maybe there are other things that have been treasuring your heart. Your heart's been focused on other things. And you know that tonight, you know, just through this message that Jesus is calling you back and saying, hey, hey, back over here. Treasure me. Treasure me. I'll set you free. And maybe you're feeling that overwhelm or that distraction and and you just wanna, I'm gonna invite you to stand where you are and just say, God, I'm treasuring you again. I'm just, re I'm pivoting. I'm, 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 I'm focusing, focusing my eyes back on you. If that's you tonight, I'm just gonna invite you to stand and we're gonna pray for you. So if that's you, just right now, I'm gonna make a big deal of it. Just stand and we'd love to pray for you. If that's you, you're feeling that overwhelm or that distraction, you know that there's a treasuring afresh. Just where you are. Come on, just stand. We're gonna pray for you and we're gonna worship. Anyone? Awesome. Anyone else? It may be manifested in a weariness. It may be the other way in which you're feeling it. Anyone else? I know I spoke to a bunch of people after the service. They said, oh, I'm just not really, you know, when you, when you get me to stand, it's, it's not really my thing. But, you know, I do. Can you really pray for me? Come on, just stand. This, this, we're, we're family here. Anyone else? Awesome. Alrighty. Okay. Can we all stand? And uh, this is kind of a bit of our culture at Gateway. Everyone, going, everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to pray. So can we gather around uh, Liam at the back there? Some people just gather around Liam. Some people just gather around uh, Kaylee and Suan here just for a moment. Come on, just gather around these guys. Lay a hand on them and uh, bless them. And we're going to sing. The, the band are going to sing over us. And just, I'd encourage you. 
pray words of encouragement. And maybe there's something that God has on your heart for them. It might be a passage or a scripture, just my encouragement. We know that prophecy, words of prophecy in the New Testament are all about the building up and the edification of that person. So just bless them and encourage them. Speak life, many and hope. Come on, just do that as the band just sings over us. Come on, let's pray. Lift up your voice, lay a hand on them and let's pray. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.